Please turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2. While you're turning, you know, it's really interesting. This week, I was watching this time-lapse photography of a caterpillar that actually cocooned itself and then came out as a butterfly. And it's really interesting to see that do it to itself and the struggle it went through to not only cocoon itself, but to come out of it and to see the transformation that happened. And, you know, the interesting part of that is, is it was, it was a process that took place. And that happens to us as Christians also. We kind of, we, we crawl before we can fly. And that's the journey. And the, the truth is, all of us are in different stages of that. Some of us may just be starting out. Some of us may be uh, already uh, flying with the eagles. And the, the beauty of that is being in relationship with each other, in relationship with other Christians, allows us to learn from each other and to grow and have that opportunity to sow into each other's life. And what I've found to be true is I can learn something from everybody. There's something that you know that I don't know that I can learn. And that's the beauty of the process of us learning and growing together. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Paul and his formative years. There was a, a lot of times we think about Paul, we, when we think about him, we think about, well, he has this encounter on the road to Damascus. He, uh, Jesus speaks to him and now he's in ministry. And there's a period of time that took place before Paul reappears on the scene. And we're going to be looking at some of that this morning. And so let's, we're going to pick up in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through verse 10. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the, among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing that the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, which we know as Peter, and John... Who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles 
and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and ask you to speak to us this morning. We also lift up our friends and family and those who are hurting in the Carolinas from Florence. And so, Father, we ask that you will give them what they need. And, Father, I pray that in the middle of all this, that the gospel will be furthered. And, Father, we know that you're in control of all things, that we can look to you. And, Father, we ask that you will make sense of this to those who are going to be hurting and struggling. And so we thank you for this moment and ask you to speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, as we look at Paul's formation, we're going to discover some spiritual principles that also guide our formation, such as not compromising the truth, working together, and kindness. And so he learned in those 14 years. Now remember, he spent three years and then he spent 14 years. So there's a time period of 17 years between his road to Damascus experience and where he is here today. And so he was growing and developing as a Christian. You know, we often, let me, let me just warn you guys about something. Whatever you do, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't say, well, you know, that guy over there, that Bob guy, he knows so much more than me, so God can really use him. Knowledge does not, does not guarantee being used. What guarantees being used is willingness. And willingness to obey. The answers are not in how much you know, but in how much you're willing to apply. I would rather have a group of people who knew three things and applied two, than a group of uh, people who knew a hundred things and applied one. What's the point? The point is application transformation of, of the mind of Christ, allowing him to take control of our lives. And so it's really important that we pay attention to what happened with Paul here. It was 14 years before Paul returned to Jerusalem. He learned to do ministry with his time with Barnabas by his side. There was a time of discipleship where Barnabas poured into him. We know Barnabas was an encourager. We know that Barnabas built him up. Have you ever met people who are encouragers? Is they always find the uh, positive in everything. They see, they see the flowers coming up and they never see the fertilizer. They're just those kind of people that know when you need a word, when you're discouraged and when you're hurting. And, Paul, and Barnabas was that to Paul. And so he spent this time, spent 17 years with Barnabas in training. That makes me feel better. <laughs> About all the time I spent in seminary. <laughs> so he spent this time together. So when Paul returns, he brings both Barnabas and Titus with him. And so we see this team that's been developing. We know Titus later was a pastor. And so this was somebody that they were pouring into. And I had an old pastor friend of mine that told me years ago that you need both a Paul and a Timothy in your life. You need somebody in your life who's pouring into you. And you need somebody in your life who you're pouring into. And I think that's good advice. We see that here. We know that Paul was being poured into by Barnabas. And we know that Titus was being poured into by Paul. And so that's part of it. So if you think you can do this on your own, you can't. 
We were never meant to do this on our own. Uh, you know, how many of you wish you had to, how many of you have ever wondered, I can't be the only one that's ever wondered this, why God only gave us two arms and two hands? Why couldn't he have given us four? Anybody ever wondered that besides me? Thank you. At least three of you will admit that. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm holding this. I had one more arm, I could reach that over there, and then we could, yeah. But that's how it works. He, he, we're made to do this together. And so we see team ministry. We're part of a team, folks. We're part of a team. So he returned because he received this revelation, like it was time for you to go back. And so we see the fact that the Lord is leading Paul in his life. Paul goes as the Lord leads. And so these principles are starting to develop as uh, God being sovereign in Paul's life. And so Paul shares the gospel that he was preaching with the apostles privately in case there was something that he had not understood. And he even saw the working and he used the working of, of God or the Holy Spirit in Titus as evidence against this false teaching that they were dealing with of the Judaizers. The Judaizers said to them that, yes, it's faith in Christ, but now that you have faith in Christ, you've got to do all these things that were in the law too to be right with God. It's, not a, it's a heresy that was uh, propagated by those who were sent from the, the, the Jewish, uh, not Christians, but the, those who held to the Jewish faith back then. And it's not a heresy that's not alive today. It's still being propagated today. We dealt with it about 11 years ago in this very community. And there were people who said this exact thing that, you know, you are right with God as you obey all of the Old Testament. And my question to them is, when are you going to sacrifice some some bulls and goats? And they looked at me funny. I'm like, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it all. It's not partial. Jesus said, and then what that says to us too, is then Jesus, his sacrifice was insufficient. If there's still something I have to do to be saved and to be right with God, then I'm not right with God because of Jesus Christ. And that is a heresy, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody tells you that Jesus is insufficient is wrong. And they violate scripture when they do it. Jesus was 100% sufficient. We don't need anything else. Now, that doesn't mean we get now. They dealt with this also in Romans. Well, the, the big fear was, well, that means you can go sin all you want. Christians don't want to do that. If you're truly saved, you don't want to go sin all you want. You're not looking for a license to sin. You're looking to lean in with the Lord. You're looking to grow. You're looking to get to know him. Your desire is to understand his word and understand his plan for you. And this excuse of, and I've heard the, I've heard a million excuses to not do that. Well, I'm too busy. Well, I don't know anything. You ever heard that one? You ever said that one yourself? I just don't know anything. How can I lean in? Let me tell you something. It's not how much you know. You start a journey somewhere and you learn over time. And he begins to explain it to you as you walk with him. So don't think you have to know everything to start the journey. Because if he's with you, the one who knows everything, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right because he loves you. He is going to invest in you. 
And that's part, that's what he did when he went to the cross and died for you. And so we see through these, through Paul going to them and sharing with them about this, this privately, that he was in submission to authority. He was in submission to those who walked with Christ, that they were in submission one to another. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to listen. Somebody, you know, it's really funny how God will, God will use some of the simple things to confound the wise, right? Or those who think they're wise. How many of you have ever heard a child say something and felt convicted when like, ooh, man, that was kind of cut me right to the heart. You ever been there? Had a child make a comment? That child didn't know that. It wasn't an intention. They don't, you want to talk about somebody who don't know anything? They don't, I mean, they're just now getting on with life. And God uses them. If God can use a child, he can use you. And so Paul was dealing with this, with the fact that these false brethren had spied out their freedom with the intent of returning them into bondage. They wanted to send them back. They wanted to put them back under the law. They couldn't save them. They couldn't do it. That's why Jesus had to come. But the law was never meant to save us. That wasn't its intent. How many of you have ever been in a situation where your parents or somebody said, don't eat that cake, save that for later. And you didn't even notice the cake until they said that. Now you want the cake. You ever been there? The forbidden fruit has an amazing allure. And then once you have the fruit, you're going to find, it's, it's the old story of the cake. When you go to drive down in the country and you'll see cows with their head through the fence trying to eat the grass on the other side. It's the same field. <laughs> you know, they, they think that the grass is greener on the other side, but when they get on the other side, it's the same old brown grass. There's no difference. And so these guys were trying to throw them back. They were trying to put them back in the bondage. They were dealing with this heresy <laughs> of how you grow and deepen you in your convictions. And it's not accurate. Trying harder does not make you a better Christian. That's a relief for some of us, right? I don't have to try harder? No, you don't. You don't. You have to trust harder. You have to rely harder. It's not about human effort. It's about what he's doing in you. And so Paul was unwilling to compromise the truth at all. They did not, he said, but they did not yield so the truth of the gospel would remain. We're commanded, he did, <laughs> he said, we would not yield. And when you think about yielding, you know, it's funny. Uh, the story of yield signs, has anybody noticed any yield signs lately? Do you remember what color they used to be? Yellow and black. Have y'all seen them lately? You know what color they are now? A lot of them are red. Because people didn't pay any attention to them. It's yellow, go. It's yellow. It's yellow. The light's yellow. Hit the gas. You don't even know what I'm doing when I do that. Anybody know what I'm doing? If you go under a yellow light, nobody knows. Okay. You haven't heard that one? You swipe the ceiling of your car. Is that new? All right. I think some teenagers taught me that one. Not, any, not our teenagers here. Teenagers in Georgia. 
But we think yellow, go. We don't stop, we don't yield. And when he's talking about yielding, yielding is to give right, some, saying that somebody else has the right of way. They have the right to that path. And he said, we're unwilling to yield. We're unwilling to give that right away because they don't have it. It's not their right of way. It's not right. And he said, we were unwilling to yield. You know, the church and Christians today have yielded for the sake of peace too often. And we have inherited, we've yielded to the wind and we've reaped the whirlwind. We're in a country where you're told that you're a hater if you tell somebody the truth. Or if you tell them there's no way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. We're in a place where you can't stand for your faith without being ridiculed anymore. And the world has gotten worse, but we've allowed it. Because we compromise truth, we're afraid to take a stand because we, we seek acceptance more than we do truth. And Paul, you know, we think about how Paul was used. If you're unwilling to compromise the truth, it could cost you. I want to tell you up front, it could cost you. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? I'd rather... Call, what, what is it going to cost you if you compromise it? Versus what it's going to cost you if you don't. There's a cost to every decision you make. Ask people who have made bad decisions. Anybody here make bad decisions other than me? Thank you. That makes me feel better. Look around. Look at all the bad decisions that have been made. And you know what? Here's the really funny thing. We thought they were right at the time. Most of them. Most of them. Some of them we knew were wrong. We just did it anyway. But most of the time we thought they were the right decision. That's called being deceived. The enemy will deceive us. He'll say, hey Mark, you'll be better off if you do this. Hey Mark. You ought to go and enjoy that. You can only get this opportunity once. You ever heard that voice? <laughs> so they were. They did not yield the truth even for an hour. Do not listen. Don't allow those who don't allow false teaching or doctrine to have place in your life or around you. The truth matters, ladies and gentlemen. Matters. The truth matters. And let me tell you something. If you hate the truth, maybe you need to meet Jesus Christ. That's the fact. Because it says the darkness hates the light. And if you find yourself hating him or disliking him, that's in John, uh, the Gospel of John. I want to introduce you to someone who loves you, even while you feel that way about them. His name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't know him, don't hesitate to turn to him. If you feel like he's leading you into a relationship with him, then go find out about that. If he is, and he, and he, and why don't you at least find out? If he created this whole thing, and if you think he's leading you, maybe there's something there that's worth discovering, right? And so Paul, his formative years, he learned to not compromise the truth. But he also learned about working together. Paul did not yield to the title people carried 
He was more interested in how they helped him advance the gospel. See, we have a tendency to, you know, I had a, a, an employer once, he was my boss, and he told me to always check to the power. You ever heard that? Like at work, whoever has the power, you, you check to them. And Paul said, wait a minute. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the one who has the ultimate power. <laughs> so maybe we should maybe we should adopt that. Check to the power. Who really has the power? God does. Jesus Christ does. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe he was right all along. But it was misapplied. If God says it ought to be this way, maybe you ought to find out about it. And you know what? Let me tell you. Let me just... Some of this stuff is going to be is going to go against the grain in your life. You're going to feel like, man, that's just I can't do that's rough. That's I don't want to do that. You ever been there? When you read God's word, I've been there. I'm the only one. That's okay. I've read it. I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. That's boring. This doesn't make any sense. And it's because you, I was trying to do it with human effort, trying to be a better person, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work unless it's empowered from inside. He brings us to life. See, in Him is a, He is our life. There's not you don't your life is not the consumption of the things you do, and what you you're not you're not what you eat. <laughs> you are what God says you are. And I've been through all this. I've been through all these things. Well, God, well, I'm just going to go make my life and then I'll check back in with you after I get that going. He said, let me know how that goes. It was frustrated at every turn. I've walked that road. I've walked the road as a Christian trying to, trying to do it on my own for him, for God, and had him frustrate everything that I tried to do. I'm like, I'm trying to do this for you. Why would you frustrate that? Because it wasn't his life in and through me. It was something that Mark was trying. It was human effort. God's not interested in human effort. He's interested in obedience. So he can do what he wants to do. And so we work together. Listen, people that will help you. You are not an island. If you're in this room right now, you are not an island. We are going to be there for you if you let us. And I know you'll be there for me if I let you. You know, not long ago, we were on a country road. Terry was driving. We hit a black cow in the middle of the night in our car. You know who we called? Somebody from here. Because our car wasn't moving anywhere. But we're in this together. Folks, you can't do it alone. And so they work together. The apostles recognized the same calling to spread the gospel in Paul to the Gentiles that was in Peter to the Jews. See, God has a specific calling for each one of us. I mean, what if Peter had said, well, I don't understand that Paul. He wants to go to the Gentiles. God is people or the Jews. What's wrong with him? And where Peter had heard that he was supposed to go to the Gentiles and 
And he's like, what's wrong with Peter? Why can't he see this? Why can't he see the fields that are white, ready, white, ready to harvest? It's because they had different callings. And your calling might be different. I remember somebody came to me once and they wanted to start a prayer blanket ministry. I don't even know why they came to me. I was the student pastor. <laughs> and they came and said, I want to start a prayer blanket ministry. And I'm just listening. And frankly, it didn't excite me at all. I'm just being honest. But it excited them. And I saw what God was doing in them. And I said, well, what do you need from me? And they just said, we just want some, we just want you to know we want some covering. And I'm like, fantastic. You know, they said, we've already raised all the money. We've already got, in a period of two years, they handed out a thousand blankets that were, had verses of scripture sewn on them, where they went out and they prayed for them. They prayed over these blankets. So they wrapped them, they wrapped kids who were sick. This became this amazing ministry that never excited me (laughs) until I saw the hand of God. (laughs) That's always exciting, right? So it doesn't have to excite you to be God's will. What a cool ministry. And God speaks to people all the time. And so you may have things that that they may not excite each other, but let's get on board with what God is doing and work together. And let him use us to touch the world. Ministry, you know, <laughs> the gifts of the body. You know, we talk about these. We probably ought to do a study on this. We need to write that one down, Steve. The gifts of the body are to minister to the body. Why is that? So that the evangelist, so we don't go, wow, he's really good at that. I could never do that. Well, he needs to be uh, going out and winning souls. And we're going to support him. We're going to cheer him. That's what happens in the church. Instead of us coming under submission to the gift God gave him and letting him teach us so that we're all out winning souls. That's the way it's supposed to function. The gifts, the ministry gifts, minister to the body to equip the body to do the work of ministry. It's in the the book. And we pass it off like it's not our job when we're called to go and win the loss. And so they work together. The apostles... They work together to do, to listen. (laughs) If we're going to accomplish all God wants and be a blessing to each other, that's how we have to function too. You're going to have passions and things that may not excite me and mine may not excite you. And that's okay. But together they form what God's up to, what he's doing. He weaves this tapestry of people with different gifts and talents for a reason. So that we can reach the world. How many of you have ever noticed that there's some personalities, man, you just click with them. They're just like, hmm. Yeah, it's like we've been friends for years. And then there's other personalities. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you just struggle the whole time you know them. You ever notice that? Anybody ever notice that? Here's the beauty of that. Here's the fact. Some people are going to connect with me and some aren't. And I used to tell this to all my youth workers. I said, some of these kids are going to connect with me. Some of them are never going to like me. Doesn't matter what I do. I can give them a million dollars. And they'd, still, they'd say, how come there wasn't two million? And I said, but that's why you're here. Because they're going to connect with you. The best youth worker I had was in his 70s. He's the best one I had. 
They all liked him. <laughs> we all liked him. But we're called and we're different for a reason. And so celebrate the differences and work together for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so in this, in this instance, Peter, James, and John accepted Paul and they joined together to spread the gospel to the whole world. Listen, folks, we're called together. We are called together to reach the world. We're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're called to love one another, to be there for one another, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Paul learned these things. But then we're left with this one verse that seems so out of place. <laughs> but I think it's really important. Verse 10 says, they only asked us, and he's talking about Peter, James, and John. They only asked us to remember the poor. Their very thing I was eager to do. And so, out of all that Peter, James, and John could have asked them, the only thing they requested was for them to remember the poor. They could have said, you know, let's talk about doctrine, or just, you know, they could have listed all these things. We want you to report in so that we know what's going on. And they could have done all that. That's not what they did. They said, just remember the poor. Remember the poor. Listen, kindness matters. <laughs> kindness matters. When we, there's people hurting around us. And you know what? They're talking about, in my, from what I'm reading, those who didn't have much money. Okay. And we have them today still. But that's not the only poor that we have today. We have some poor in character. We have poor in emotions that are just, they're hurting, they need help emotionally. There's people around us that are hurting. And kindness matters. See, Paul's response of eagerness to remember the poor demonstrated two things. I thought this was really interesting. This was all out of this one verse. They, he was of the same mind as the other apostles. Isn't that interesting? The only thing they picked. He goes, man, I'm eager to do that. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit, right? When they're sharing the same heart. When they're both submitted to the same Lord. They share the same heart. That's how it works. The other thing is, is they were naturally compassionate. See, people have physical needs that cannot be overlooked if we're going to tell them that Jesus loves them. This is not, and I'll be honest with you, this is not an area of strength for me. I'm just going to be, I'll be transparent in front of you. It's not an area of strength for me. But I know it's truth. And I have to submit to it. Because there's people out there who are hurting. If we go and share the gospel with them and don't help meet their, their physical needs, they're not going to hear the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. They won't hear it. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't hear it either. 
You know, so what lessons can we take away from Paul's formative years for ourselves? What good does this do us? Well, one, we face a barrage from the world every day telling us that our Christian beliefs are wrong, outdated, that they're racist or even sexist. I've been told every one of those. Just because I just read, and I even just read it to them. I didn't write it, I'm not making an opinion, I'm just reading the words. Sometimes this kind of thinking even comes from within the church, unfortunately. Listen, anything you're willing to compromise you don't believe in or has no real value in your life. If I'm willing to compromise, it doesn't have as much value. There's a few things I'm not willing to compromise, right? Somebody breaks in my home and threatens my family, I'll give my life for them. Right, guys? It's on. You want to steal steal that sheet of paper out of my yard? Well, whatever. Because it doesn't have real value. If you're willing to compromise it, that tells you what value you place on it. And so be careful. We must decide who we are going to stand with, God or the world. We're coming to that point and it's happening here in America. We've got to decide whether we're going to stand for the Lord or whether we're going to go down the drain with the world. Because I'm telling you, that's where they're headed. Two. Submitting to one another and working together is one way we hear from the Holy Spirit and discern truth. See, we live in a society that tells us to write off anyone who doesn't agree with us, right? We live in an adversarial system. You know, there used to be a time in America we could sit down and share um, different ideas and they could be different. And we could look and see the value and come to some middle ground. But anymore, if somebody doesn't agree with us, it, there's this, this thing that drops like a guillotine that breaks the relationship if we don't agree, and it turns into hate. That's the beauty. Actually, that's one of the beautiful things that came out of Florence. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. They're working together to save lives down there. And you know what? That's, what we're, that's our calling. That's our calling, ladies and gentlemen. See, we think of somebody as perishing the moment they die, right? We think in those terms. But the truth is they're perishing every moment they're not in a relationship with Christ. Because something that they could have experienced, learned, or been a part of with Him that provides, that because He is their source of life, they missed out on today. That's perishing. They can never get it back. They are perishing now. And we have a call. So we need to listen. We need to listen to one another and search out the truth together. We need to listen to one another and search out the truth together. This is what seekers of truth do. Seekers of self-validation do not. Well, I just want you to tell me I'm right. I had a godly gentleman in my life ask me if I wanted to be on the side of truth or I didn't want the truth to be on my side. And at the time, I sat there for a moment and I held my breath because I wasn't sure there was any difference. 
And then by the grace of God, he showed me the difference. And I realized it's not me that a thing has to be. I need to be on the side of truth no matter what it is. Even if I have to change. And so it's important that we do this together. Submitting to one another, working together is, is one way to hear from the Holy Spirit. God will speak to you through other people. Three, we have a calling to deliver the gospel. Seeing people and meeting needs when we can is part of our evangelizing efforts. There was a movement started in Florida. I met the guys who discovered it. I've talked to him a couple times. It's, it, the, he titled it Servant Evangelism. It's actually meeting people's needs. And as you do that, watching for your opportunity to share Christ. Because people are grateful and their hearts are open. And it was a man he had witnessed to for two years that was an atheist that said no. But he blew leaves off his roof and he asked him, and the neighbor asked him why he did it. He knew he had a fear of heights. So he went up on the guy's roof for him and blew his leaves off. And he asked, why did you do that? He goes, because they're going to rot your roof out. And I don't want your root roof to rot out. You're my neighbor. And he said, come over, I need to talk to you. He said, I was kind of nervous because I was like, is he going to chew me out for getting on his roof? <laughs> and he asked him about Christ and him and his whole family were saved that night. They now serve as deacons in the church that he pastors. But he wouldn't have broke through that had he not have served the man. And so people are in need, folks. And as we serve them, we have the opportunity to share the gospel. That doesn't give us the right to plow them. But it can open doors. And not doing it can will shut doors. And so it's important. And you know what it comes down to? It comes down to building a relationship with those you're trying to reach. It's not some preacher standing up somewhere. You know, here's the thing. The people that have made a difference in your life, you may have come to some realization of some things. And this is important what we do. But I went to church for 20 years at my home church and Honestly, I can't recall a single sermon. I remember the principles and some of the things that I learned, but not only in a, in a single sermon. It's when you sit with people and you do life together and you get out there and you spend time and you feel their pain and they no longer feel alone. They have hope for the first time because they met you. That you get to invest and, change, and God changes lives through that. Now, he can, can he save people through the foolishness of preaching? We know that he can, as that's what he says in his word. And in context, he's talking about this. But many times in scripture, people were saved by having a conversation as well. And so it's you and me together in relationships. You know, there was a there was this this guy named Old Pete who had a real knack for catching fish. And where other guys would go out and they'd come back with two or three fish, he'd come back with strings, stringers full of fish 
15, 12, 15, 20 fish sometimes. And the game warden got suspicious. So the game warden went out with him one day. He said, can I, you know, he went down and he was there. And he said, hey, uh, hey, you're a pretty good fisherman. He, and he's like, yeah. And he said, can I go out with you? And so he said, yeah, come on, let's go. And so the game warden gets in and Pete fires up his boat. And they go to the other side of the lake in this really remote part of the lake. And Pete is there and he pulls out a stick of dynamite, he lights it, throws it in the water. Fish float up, he gets out the net, scoops them up. And the game warden said, what are you doing? I can arrest you for that. You shouldn't be doing that. And old Pete just smiles. He pulls out another stick of dynamite. He throws it in the game warden's lap. And he said, are you going to stand there criticizing or are you going to fish? <laughs> At that moment, the game warden understood the moral of the story. Is there some urgency to our fishing? There ought to be. <laughs> we act like we've got all the time in the world and we don't. We'll get around to it or we'll tell so-and-so when, you know, someday when, when they just ask me. And there's people that God's laid on our hearts that we've not gone and shared the gospel with. Paul was a missionary who went to share and spread the gospel because he was in love with Jesus. And we're called to the same. We're in this together, folks. And you say, man, I'm one of those people. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I, man, I, I can't tell you. I've heard that in every church I've ever been in. I don't want to go on visitation because I won't know what to say. If you just be, if you don't know what to say and you want to go on visitation, you call me. I'll go with you. Not all at the same time, but we'll all go. <laughs> Here, 15 people show up for visitation. Amen. I'll go with you. You can go with me. Because the truth is, I don't know what to say either. The Holy Spirit knows what they need to hear. And we're going to trust Him when we walk in together. And so we're called. Well, I could never do that. Good. Because we don't do it on our own anyway. He has to do it. You don't save nobody. If, I, if I've saved you, you're lost. Jesus saves people. We are the sheep of His flock. He is in charge here. We submit to Him. If, you're, if we're willing to do that, then we're going to be able to walk together. If you're not willing to do that, then we're going to have a hard time. Because He is who we live for, ladies and gentlemen. And we all know somebody. And we've seen answers to prayer. We've seen God move. We've watched Him do certain things. And he's looking for people who are not willing to compromise the truth. He's looking for people who are in love with him. He's looking for people who are willing to go even when they're afraid. Because that spirit of fear doesn't come from him. And so if we yield to that, then we're doing the opposite of what Paul did. He said, I don't yield to it. I don't give in to it. I don't let it have the right of way. 
This all grew out of the formation years. Listen, some of us are still forming. You may be a brand new Christian. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank God that you're a Christian and brand new. But it's been such a long time since I've grown. That's okay. You have to start toddling before you can walk. And you have to walk before you can run. Have you ever seen a baby's first steps before, parents? Right? The whole time when I've seen it, parents are you know, they're trying to, because they're afraid their kid's going to fall over. Or their grandchild, even more important. But there comes a time that you're out watching the Little League game, right? And they're running and you're going, slide, slide, they're going to get you. You know? So you go from this to that, but it takes time. But it also takes willingness to do life. Your future life is not determined by your present situation. It's determined by the plan of God and your willingness to obey Him. And obedience is not a negative word. It's a, you're walking into joy and into safety and into the area where He's in control. That's cool, man. Don't miss out on that. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.